0: today on keep classical weird i talk with three people who share a unique job in our world
1: my name is chris Ramakers. i'm the director of orchestras and a professor at the university
2: of wisconsin whitewater
3: adam flant i'm music director of the newport symphony orchestra
2: My name is Michael Gesme, and I am a
3: conductor.
0: Welcome, friends, to episode two of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and today we are talking about the world of conducting, it's possible that some of you might hear this and think conducting doesn't seem to fit in the profile of weird, but doesn't it though? a career in music performance almost seems to necessitate communication through sound, but conductors give performances where they are specifically not making sounds. Here's Adam Flat
3: It's making the music go by gestural communication with musicians who play the music, so the conductor doesn't make any sound uh, but communicates. Uh, silently with the musicians in a way that unifies them in producing the, the music.
0: Is that I mean is that like a would you call that communication an actual sort of language on its own or? I think
3: so. I think that conductors have a gestural language. There's a technique to it of course that conductors learn how to do and musicians learn how to read and that's in combination with basic human body language and gestures that any human being anywhere in the world would understand means more or less or now or you Uh, and so those things all come in a very complex um, combination come together to form the the gestural language of the conductor for sure
0: of course, conductors have to know what they're talking about when they speak such a language, which requires a ton of context. Here's Chris ramicker's
1: I think my job is to decide what the composer wanted when they wrote the music, and then to make that happen from the orchestra. Deciding what a composer wanted, um, I I feel like every time I... Every time I approach a score, I feel like I'm learning a little bit something about the person that wrote it, and, and every composer, I mean, they're all individual people, right? I mean, they've been dead for you know, decades, if not hundreds of years, but, you know, like, Beethoven and Mozart were very different people, and, and they approach their music differently, and I feel like the more I learn their music, the more I learn kind of the idiosyncrasies of each personality, You know, kind of the way when Beethoven writes a a rhythm or writes a figure or even writes something like forte, what he meant, or accent, what he meant, what he meant. Um, And then when Mozart wrote accent, that meant something a little bit different.
0: And really, sometimes a conductor's job is just to do their job. But what is that job? A list of needed skills for this job? Isn't that straightforward? Here's Michael Gesmey
2: it's very strange like when you look at a job posting you say here's you know we want you to be the orchestra conductor and you look at all of the things that they want from you um, the, the stuff that you are going to spend the least amount of time doing is the stuff that everybody thinks that's what an orchestra conductor is which is like what you're doing on the podium for that two and a half hours and then the concert that you're putting on at the end of the week and that represents such a small fraction of the actual job I think my role um, in front of the group um, is basically to be absolutely as prepared as I possibly can with with my
3: end of the business.
2: You know, if I don't know what I'm doing, there's no way in the world I can expect anybody else to
3: care.
0: Here's Adam Flat.
3: The thing is, you know, conducting, I think, in the popular imagination is thought of as being very public and very kind of physical and aerobic. And the fact is that it's just, So far from the truth, because it's really nine-tenths solitary and sedentary. (laughs) (laughs) Where we're sitting at the table or at the piano, just, just getting a grasp on these pieces.
0: Preparedness is essential training for any good conductor, which got me thinking about education specifically. Chris Ramekers and I went to school together many years ago. I graduated with a degree in violin performance, and that got me thinking of a question that never occurred to me while he and I were classmates. Let's take a second and let's put ourselves back in grad school. Uh-huh. I was in the practice room with my instrument, um, just, you know, four, five, six, plus hours a day sometimes, <laughs> right? And it only occurred to me recently that I was like, what What were you doing? You know? Because <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, really.
1: Right. Well, um, before I went to grad school, I was studying an instrument. I played the trumpet. And I had that same experience while I was studying the trumpet. I was practicing in the practice room for my lessons and passing juries and giving recitals and it was all the same thing. So, you know, and I, and I think most conductors have that experience where they've played an instrument and they know they're in that mindset. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, so that's already part of the routine. When you and I met and I was a conductor, I was doing the same thing, but I was spending all my time hunched over a score. Um, It's, it's a, it's, it's funny. It's almost like um, there are elements of the practice room part of it where I, I had to be, Disciplined, and I had to set a study schedule and make my plans the same way you do when you're um, in your violin practicing. But then it was an element of it's just grad school, I was studying all the time.
0: Here's Michael Gesme Uh,
2: watching rehearsals and taking those scores and studying those scores. I mean, that's what I did. You know, I'm sitting at home, literally in my silence or in my dorm room or whatever, just you know, either listening to a recording or. you know, just literally studying, doing chord analysis, doing, what are the phrases? Is it a four-bar phrase, four-bar phrase?
0: Here's Adam Flat.
3: We train kind of intensively in being analysts and learning the score, because everything we need in terms of effectiveness comes from deep and real knowledge of the score. And so we, we study a lot about that, and, and a- analysis and inhabiting the mind space of the composer, trying to understand what the composer was uh, setting out to do, and in the case of a masterpiece, why the piece had to be exactly the way it was and was inevitable in its its outcome, and learning a great deal about repertoire, the cultural uh, sort of context that a piece of art emerges from, and how the composer lived in that context and what the composer was was really attempting to do.
0: I wanted to know how my guests got into conducting in the first place, and it was fascinating. All three had kind of an aha moment where they realized that's what they really wanted to do. They were all more or less specific moments, but Adam Flats was very specific.
3: I started out with violin at age five, and I was pretty good, you know. and loved it and everything and then at, you know, i must have been 12 and i went to my neighborhood public middle school there in sacramento california which had a, a wonderful very strong orchestra program i can actually remember that day the first day <clears throat> sitting down with these kids you know most of whom were older eighth graders and ninth graders older than me sitting down with this orchestra very good group of kids big group and we the, the piece was the Rosamunda Overture by Schubert. Oh. And just like thunder. I was thunderstruck. Uh, it was like it was it was a f- physical ecstasy, you know, pounding heart and and you know welling up in my eyes because of just this, being surrounded by this fullness of this orchestra sound, this 2D sound. And mm-hmm. so I i was like it was epiphanal i was like hey well this is why i have been alone practicing alone all these years since i was five most of my life at that point was so that you can do this you know it was a long path from from there on out too but i think your question was where was the beginning
0: and you pinpointed it you (laughs) said well it was this day when we played this piece
3: i can remember that day and that feeling
0: I had an interview question prepared that I asked all three of these people, which was to recall a performance where things went particularly well, or even a moment where things gelled together. I'm not sure it happened on purpose, but all three of them managed to pivot their answer from performances to rehearsals, and this is where they got really excited.
2: I love rehearsing. I just absolutely love rehearsing. Um, it's not that I don't like concerts I do like concerts because you get to play for people who actually then get to give you some sort of response and I think people play better like after they know that like people are into it um, and so there's there's something wonderful about concerts that you'll just never get um, but I, I just adore the process how do you pull this apart and put it back together again so that it actually starts to make sense um, and so when after I've done that and put it back together and all of a sudden something happens and then I get a little bit more from this and this, that's like, those are, those are, the, that's the, those are the moments that, I, that are like my secret little fun. In a
1: rehearsal, I think everything is very, uh, like micro, it's very local. Play this note shorter, do this up bow, trumpets play louder here, clarinets more accent, whatever. But then in an actual performance, it comes down to stay together, play in tempo and make sure that we all arrive in this crescendo at the same, you know, the same way. Um, And so to switch from that micro to macro is a really neat thing to see.
3: The preparation process or trajectory is is really different for the conductor and for the The, instrumentalists. The instrumentalists know they have four rehearsals or whatever it is going to be to approach a point of feeling comfortable and ready to perform Together. And the conductor has to be <clears throat> kind of most, most on top of things at the very beginning of the process. You know, and so I don't think I don't think many of us ever have nerves about performing. If there are any nerves, it's about that first rehearsal. That's when we that's when we know if we're gonna succeed or fail.
0: A full-time conductor usually holds several positions and they're often asked to be guests with other groups around the region, the country, or sometimes even the world. So they are musical freelancers with a potentially huge commute. This leads to many varied experiences with different groups. Sometimes they're wonderful, and sometimes, as Chris Ramakers points out, they're unexpected.
1: Oh my gosh, we need a conductor, and we didn't realize we needed a conductor because this piece is really hard. So here's the score. Can you you do the concert on Wednesday? Um, And by the way, it's really hard because... (laughs) (laughs) And we burned two rehearsals learning that it's a really hard piece. So you have one rehearsal on Tuesday and a concert Wednesday. And you're going to get 75 bucks or whatever it is. (laughs) But I was right out of grad school. So what are you going to (laughs) do? You're going to say yes, right out of grad school.
0: Absolutely. Conductors can simply be viewed as the boss of an orchestra. And as the boss, sometimes they're seen as having to bring down the hammer to keep their musicians in line. But that's an old fashioned trope. Times have changed, and, as Michael Gesme points out, that stereotype doesn't ring as true anymore.
2: There's a whole mystique, you know, which gratefully, hopefully, is being, you know, slowly broken down over the time um, about this, you know, the the tyrant on the podium. And uh, that just doesn't exist anymore in a meaningful way. It's not a militant thing, Um you know, they're they're a part of hiring and they're a part of making changes and stuff like that. And of course, that's going to be the way it is. But, you know, the the days of of Toscanini throwing down his pocket watch and smashing it and walking off and, and, I mean, like, those people don't work very long anymore.
0: These three people are living examples of the anti-tyrant. And their sign-offs to me at the end of each of our interviews proved that in addition to being great conductors, they're just great humans, too. It was great to catch up. It was great to catch up with you too. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. You a great job.
2: I'm very honored that you talked with me.
0: And that's our show for today. My sincere thanks to Chris Ramakers, Michael Gesme, and Adam Flatt. You were spectacular. And I hope I get to see you all in person sooner rather than later. Our theme music you're hearing is by the phenomenal Thomas Barber. Check him out on his website, thomasbarber.com. Web development support provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find it on Facebook and Instagram. For more music appreciation in a bite-sized form, you can subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash C-A-S-E-Y-B-O-Z-E-L-L. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird.